Welcome to Center Stage with international opera star Pamela Kuhn. And now, here is your host, Pamela Kuhn. Good morning, everyone, and the curtain is up on Center Stage, the show about the arts and the artists behind their work. I recently sat down with Heldon Tenor, Stuart Skelton, to speak about his operatic career so far and about his life. Typical of his robust and generous nature, we chatted for over an hour. When you're talking to this blonde bear of an Australian, you get the luxury of sitting back and letting his eloquence about music making just take over. But best of all, you get to laugh a lot. Stuart Skelton loves getting the most out of life, and I considered myself lucky that I was privy to his stories and ideas. Part one aired last week on Center Stage. We spoke about his entry into a high-level career, his appreciation of the Zen moments that a good cigar can bring, and his decision to take on the role of Tristan in Wagner's Tristan und Isolde. He opened the season at the Metropolitan Opera with Tristan. His Isolde was Nina Stemme, and in the orchestral pit was the maestro that understands Stuart Skelton's magnificent voice so well, Sir Simon Rattle. Let's pick up on the Tristan Q and see where Stuart takes us. I'd always said to my agent, who is the greatest human and the greatest person on the planet, and I love him dearly, uh, we'd always said that when Tristan comes around, it had to tick a couple of boxes. It had to be with a sensational conductor. It had to be a long rehearsal period. And, it, you know, the, the colleagues needed, you know, needed to be in a, in a situation where across the board everything was you know every every box was checked so when Sir Simon Rattle comes to you with a Ville Decker production and says well, we're going to do it in Baden-Baden and New York with seven weeks rehearsal and your Isolders are either Eva Maria Vesbrook or Nina Stemmer at that point you've really got nothing to, f- to fall back on you've yeah. got no reason to say no at that you've point you've got to go for it <laughs> Given that Simon is such a, I mean, he's such a spirit about him as a conductor, right. knowing that, knowing that he knew it was going to be my first Tristans, that he would be as encouraging and as sympathetic as a conductor could ever be in that repertoire. So at that point, I thought, this is this is the chance. This is the time to say yes. Grab the bull by the horns, knowing that your trust in Simon uh, is absolute and that he would never ever ever do anything to make your first Tristans not be a a thing and so I did and I was really I'm very pleased that I did that because it's been a big year of Tristan I've done including the concert performance in Tasmania 25 in my first year it's not something I plan on emulating I'm not going to do 25 a year again no um but it was something I wanted I needed to do this year to make sure that my body completely understood what it was to sing Tristan. I won't ever do more than eight or ten a year from now on, and I'm not. Do, and I'm not doing them every year. That was the other decision. So I won't do them every year. I will only do every two or three. And so far, that's how it's planned out right now. Eighteen and, 20, and again in twenty. So you've got a lot of wisdom going. <clears throat> well, the other was I don't know whether it was wisdom. I think well, there's so many other things that I still wanted to be able to sing. I still wanted to keep. I mean, like, you, you'll have to prize Peter Grimes from my cold, dead hands. I won't give those up. I won't give Valkyra up. I won't give Parsifal up. I won't give some of those roles up 
to make Tristan work. I would much rather sing Tristan less often, or not at all, if I can keep those other roles in my repertoire for as long as I can. So I didn't want to compromise those things that have been with me for a long time and roles that are very close to my heart. I didn't want to compromise those to be singing Tristan more often. And I won't do that. And fortunately, this year was nothing but Tristan, so I had no, there was no compromise. There was nothing else on the cards apart from recording Valkyrie in Hong Kong in the first three weeks of January. It's been Tristan all year, so nothing else was going to get in the way. So it was the perfect opportunity to do that. But I won't do Tristan every season just to be Tristan. You know, there are lots of wonderful roles out there that I that have been very kind to me and taken me some wonderful places um, that are very, very close to my heart that I won't give up until I have to. So we're talking about Peter Grimes, Otello. Otello, uh, Parsifal, Longren, Valkyra. Those sorts of things are roles that I would like to keep for a, forever if I could. And if that means doing Tristan less and less frequently, that's just fine. <laughs> you know, you said today in the masterclass it was absolutely adorable about the first, second, and third acts of Tristan mm. and how you would get through it by saying after the first act, okay, I'm done. Mm-hmm. And then you go off and you rest and then you t- take on the second act yep. and so on. Yep. And I thought that was so wise for such um, a, um, a, a night of stamina. It's a good way to fool, keep the mind going. Exactly, and, and that, that was what it was, was I had to keep, keep tricking myself because the first couple of rehearsals, you'd, you'd, be in, you'd be wailing away in Act 1, and I'd think, hang on, just, dude, just slow down. You've got Act 3 to sing yet. You, you've got all of the, right. the, the Liebesnacht mm-hmm. in the second act to sing, and mm-hmm. then all of Act 3, you just slow down. And I, thought, and I started to get my, mentally get myself in knots about how I was going to manage Act 3. So I started to think, well, don't think about Act 3. Just think about managing what you're singing right now. Exactly. Exactly. Staying and then once you've moment. done that, mm-hmm. then manage what you're going to sing immediately after that. Mm-hmm. Just and manage each thing as it comes. And you touched on that very eloquently today with one of the singers, you know, bidding him really to save himself, to learn how to save yourself yeah. and, and where. Yeah, exactly. And, and a smart singer does this, and especially in the rep that you're doing. Yeah, well, I mean, everybody, every voice type has its own vocal challenges, you know. Um, so you've got to find those places where the the composer has given you the opportunity to get back to first principles of singing. Sing beautifully, sing on the instrument, don't disconnect from it. I mean, stay engaged, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to be the the biggest, most spectacular, bright, shiny thing because there are p- periods where you have to do that. So the other times, stay on the voice, but sing sing what's there. Mm-hmm. Don't sing. Don't sing the expectation. Sing what's actually there. Mm-hmm. And exactly. I, th- you know, even as, as demanding as Tristan is, if you sing what's there rather than what you think people expect, mm-hmm. you they know, were, they were smart. He, he, he gives you yeah. exactly what you he, <laughs> just when you think you are about to literally explode at the vo- at the vocal cord, he gives you time off. Yeah. Just when you like seriously, if I have to sing two more notes, oh, my head is going to blow up. Mm-hmm. That's exactly when you get three pages off. Mm-hmm. So he knew. And of course, you know, in Act 3 of Tristan, he wants you at wit's end. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You've got to be at wit's end to a certain extent anyway, and that's what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, because how do you make Tristan's disintegration and his transcendence, because they're happening at the same time. That's what I find so fascinating about Act 3 of Tristan, mm-hmm. is that he's going to pieces. In well, Half of him is literally disintegrating, while the other half 
is being lifted to a, another plane, and they're happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. So you've got to keep these two competing ideas in your head, physically and vocally, at the same time, and not letting one control the other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and Wagner, so Wagner wants you at wit's end, and boy, he gets you there, no question. Mm-hmm. So he gets exactly what he wants, and when he realises, like, two more bars and it's all over... Kuvanal comes in and does his thing and it gives you a little bit of time off and you get to reset everything and then say, right, now I've just got these three, five, six, twelve pages to sing. Mm-hmm. And then something else happens and then you reset and say, right, now I've just got this bit to sing. Think of it in really short, manageable things and sing each of those manageable things like it's the only thing you have to do. Yeah, yeah. Like you're about to retire. Yeah, sing it like you're going to retire. And how was it working with Nina Schneller? Oh, amazing. She's an incredible colleague. I mean, she sung her last... Was it her last performance in New York? Was her 100th Isolde. Amazing. 100 of them. Mm-hmm. And it's as fresh now as it's ever I been, know. you know? And yeah. she's just she just exudes this, this thing. And it's also one of the things that... I, working with Nina was really an amazing experience. She knows exactly what she needs from her director to make it work. And if she's not getting it from him, she will say, no, I know that's what you want. I understand that. But we are going to have to understand that you're not going to sing it. I am. And this is what I'm going to need. So she's making the director work. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I mean, she'll work for the director, you know, because it, 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 it's inherent upon us to try and make things work. Mm-hmm. But she was always forefront in her whole process. Was like, I need to be your best is the best is older you can get out of me. There are some things that I'm going to need to make that happen. And it was never it was and it wasn't an antagonistic thing. It was just like economical. I, 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 it was efficient. I've got experience in this. I'll need these things over here. More than happy to do whatever you want. It's fine. It's, but here I need this and here it would be nice and it just sort of slotted together and watching that happen was a really really wonderful thing to watch to know that you can uh, at some level go I, I, I appreciate what you want and I appreciate what you're trying to say but at this point the focus needs to be on this or this or, or, or just to make sure that for us to be able to tell the story you want to tell, we have to be able to get through it. Yeah. Um, and that was amazing to watch. And Rene Papa's the same. You know, mm-hmm. he knows exactly what he wants mm-hmm. and he, why he wants it. And he doesn't. Neither neither Nina or Rene were like, "I want it this way because I said so." I I would like it this way because. And then they would give you lots of really compelling, well thought out reasons. Mm-hmm. And if a director does that compelling thought out reasons it's so easy to work with the directors say I want it this way because I want it this way doesn't really wash with me anymore mm-hmm. you know well, I'm sure you do want it that way but you know why don't we check in with what Wagner wanted and what the singers might want exactly. and let's see if we can't all between all of us get a get a good result that's right and that was watching Nina go no it's uh, you know I would like it like this because not because I said so and I think that's a was a really wonderful thing to watch, and everyone came together, and it made it made for a compelling, it made for a scintillating performance, I mean, incandescent. And then with Sir Simon Rattle in the in the pit, it was magnificent. Yeah. The orchestra, yeah, they really are. Oh, they're the best opera band on the planet. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. There's no question. They are the best opera band on the planet because they've had such... And their rapport with, with Maestro Levine is of such long standing. And mm-hmm. he was a guy that was about the quality of every tone, That's the quality right. of every note in every section, in every instrument for better than 40 years mm-hmm. and that sort of stuff you can't but help but hear and feel that and I know that Simon had said to uh, had said seen, seen, seen Jimmy backstage and said thank you because I can hear and feel every every hour you've worked with these guys thank you for for letting us letting us letting us borrow your band for for, for six weeks it was a, and it really is you can feel this level of of rapport from pit to stage and the fact that the orchestra are playing as much to whoever's conducting as they are to what they're hearing from the stage that is really uh, it's a massive privilege to do that. Oh, that's wonderfully said. Yeah, that really are. Stuart, in in your in your growth, mm. is there one person who you could credit with having given you the real opportunity in your life? The the, the moment that maybe was cathartic for you in changing, you know, your career path. Um, I think the really big. Um. For me, there's probably two. One quite early on, after I'd finished in San Francisco uh, and had moved to Germany, I think the first one was the opportunity to sing Lohengrin in in Karlsruhe. Mm -hmm. That was the first one, I think. And of course, this long-standing relationship you've had with the NO. Well, and that was the second. That's my. That was my second, second, the second prong to the fork. Was of with, Ed, with Ed, yeah. I mean, Ed and I, um, I think one one critic in London who's a friend and something of a wag um, <laughs> men- wrote uh, wrote about us in a, the recording of Guruleta we've done with in Bergen at the end of last year. Uh, said uh, what is what is possibly the most famous bro- t- bromance in classical music. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. I'll pass that on to Ed. I'm sure he'll love to hear that. Um, but I think. The Peter Grimes production in 2009, the David Alden production, which mm-hmm. was a new production at the time. Mm-hmm. Now, I had worked for Eno once pr- prior to that. In 2006, we had done a, a David Alden production of Yennefer. Um, and I'd never worked with David before. I'd worked with Christopher once when I was a young artist in San Francisco. I'd never worked with David. And after the Yennefer, uh, there was, I don't know, there was something about the way that David and I worked together that just seemed to gel or click and so when the opportunity for the Grimes came up with David mm. uh, directing and Ed conducting it it just was I don't even I'm not even sure I have words to explain how the three of us just everything just went and became instantly there's something where we just understood what it is that everyone wanted what we wanted from each other how exciting it was and so much of it was unspoken which I think was really quite... That's what, what was quite amazing about it. Was so much of it was unspoken. And I think that production really kind of solidified for me what I want to try and achieve in whatever career is granted to me, is to sing every performance of whatever repertoire it is, 
seeing every performance like it's the last one you're ever going to see. And if that shortens my career by five years at the other end, I don't really care. I would much rather come away from a career knowing that I... That, that I, there was you know, knowing that I have to be stretched off, mm-hmm. rather than have enough of my own motive power to get off stage myself. I would much rather leave it all there. Mm-hmm. Um, and over time, over my career, and I've you know, and Ed particularly have given me lots and lots and lots of opportunities to literally find the edge of what I can do in a performance mm-hmm. and go and stand on the edge of the abyss and look straight into it to see how it, what it feels like wow. um, which is a really amazing f- feeling to walk right to the, with every role to walk right to the edge and think you know I could jump off right now and it would make spectacular theatre mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you know but you're exploring. You're exploring yourself. Yeah, and you explore the explore what the vo- what the voice can and can do. do. Yeah, in, in when given that space, in conjunction with what you can do histrionically, um, and especially something like like Grimes, yeah. which you're born obviously to sing. And I remember hearing and seeing John John Vickers' <laughs> last Grimes at the Royal Opera mm-hmm. House, and thinking. No one will ever be able to surpass this, and no one ever has. And and the acting and the just and the the otherworldly quality of this divine yeah. music. Yeah, exactly. Oh. It's one of the things, and the other thing I think that is most remarkable about Grimes as a role, as Grimes as an opera, is that you look at uh, the singers that have made it their own, mm-hmm. from Pierce, for whom it was written, through Tony Rolfe Johnson, Philip Langridge. Yes. I mean, Philip's portrayal. It's just, uh, Heartbreaking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, ben Hepner, Chris Ventress, Stephen Gould, <laughs> right the way through to Vickers. Tony Griffey. Yeah. You know, um, all very different voices. Yes. But all completely valid. And all, every every one of those singers made that role their own. It's, it's one of those roles you don't quite... You can't really quite explain because most roles mm-hmm. are really quite specific about who can and cannot sing them. Mm-hmm. Grimes is one of the only ones that doesn't do mm-hmm. that. It mm-hmm. places the same demands on everyone, and everyone meets those demands in a different way, but they all meet those demands. And I, I understand that I'm at the vicar's end of the of the gamut in terms of in terms of the interpretation, or not the interpretation so much as the vocal quality, but. You know when you see when you see Phillips, um, the, the 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 almost the the starry veer quality of his portrayal compared to the almost I mean very visceral and almost brutal uh, Vickers end of the yes. thing. Yes, yes. The, what I've always tried to do is find that that way between those two, where if you the ethereal nature of of the now the great bear implied is through to this this just bull elephant you know mm-hmm. uh, heart scene and and try and find the way from that tiny little almost inaudible thread of e natural over two or three pages mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and draw that thread both vocally and as a character into when his whole world shatters. I mean, I've never thought of Grimes as a tragedy, interestingly enough, and I don't think it's a mad scene. We call it a mad scene because it's easy and it makes 
it gives us a label for it. I don't think it's a mad scene at all. I, th- I like to think of Grimes having washed up on the beach in Aldebra, fully formed. Hmm. He wasn't born, he was spawned yeah. somehow. Yeah, yeah. And I see I when, when he gets sent out, when, when Balstrode says to him, take the boat till you lose sight of land and sink the boat, do yeah. you hear sink her? I think it's just Peter going back to the elements that spawned that him. That he came from. And when he's and that whole mad, that whole scene at the end where he's saying his name over and over again, mm-hmm. I think he's just emptying himself of the essence of Peter Grimes. So the Grimes that goes back out into the sea is just the shell. It is pure, so to speak. It's the shell. Yeah. How interesting. And I don't see. I don't see. I've never seen that as a tragedy. See, it's very that's sad. Really it's interesting. it's heartbreaking, but it's not a tragedy. The shell that is. The, the, the physical representation of Peter Grimes just goes back to the ocean and right. becomes the ocean again. Right. But all of that, that that roiling massive contradiction inside him empties out when he says his name over and over again. I kept thinking, I couldn't work out why he said it over and over and over again. Why did he say that? Why did he write it like this? I thought, what if he's trying to get the Peter Grimes out? Yeah. And I think he's just emptying himself. So the Very so, so the, the the physical representation of him goes back to the elements that spawned him. Very interesting. So yeah. it, it's, le- it's less tragic, no less mm-hmm. heartbreaking, mm-hmm. but less tragic. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. So I, I've been sort of working on that for a little while, and I, I won't give him up, whatever so I can see. So you obviously are a man with great passion that goes into all of your characters and really yeah. wrestles and explores everything. And again, just as you were trying to get these young singers to do today yeah. in the master class, yeah. And I noticed it was so beautifully respectful when you would speak to them and they would do something right. And you, we were dealing in such an instrumental fashion. Mm. You were talking about bowing. You were talking about yeah. phrases, you know, treat it cello-like. And I, I was watching you thinking, oh, my gosh, your next step is going to be conducting. And <laughs> I, I, oh, I perceived you today as like the consummate perfect musician. That You come from an almost instrumental look at the score. Well, I, d- I do. I, I, learn my, I learn my roles although I'm lucky enough to not have to learn new much, much new stuff anymore, which is kind of mm-hmm. nice, because uh, I am um, intrinsically lazy. Um, I learn them from an orchestral score because I think it's more interesting to look at and see mm-hmm. what's going on when you're singing. Mm-hmm. And I, I do, th- I think, instrumentally. But one of the things, be- one of the things that with particularly with young singers, because they haven't done a lot of stuff with orchestra, is letting them know what's happening underneath them mm-hmm. so what they what 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 they can expect to hear yes, yes. Um, because with piano I mean yeah it's good and the, both the piano players today at the, in the master class were sensational but there's only so much a piano can replicate mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. having them think like an instrumentalist mm-hmm. if you're going to sing Marla you have to think like an instrumentalist because he wrote vocal lines like an oboe line well, that is to say impossible to sing correct um and so you've got to give them a feel of, of all of the things that, it, that they're going to feel and hear and, and, and part of the, what, what their senses will, will, will have to deal with. Um, and the respectful thing is only because it's a very, very, very exposing thing to stand up and sing in front of people. And you know, half the audience were their, were their colleagues in the, in the Young Artists right. and Apprentice programs. Mm-hmm. It, to, to sing up and, and be open enough that somebody who's got no reason to respect my opinion at all, it's like, okay, I'm going to try what this guy says. And that's an incredibly brave thing to do. Um, and I think it's a testament to these, these young singers that they're not only, obviously, you heard very vocally mature, 
but they've got a maturity of spirit about them um, that was really quite remarkable. It, it, they it, were, was, it was obvious that they were hungry mm-hmm. for more input, mm-hmm. hungry for more information. What else? What else can we can we do that improves things? How else can I? Which I thought it was just terrific. It's super exciting. It was, and yeah. I thought you were very deft at handling master classes. And Stuart, my last question to you tonight is. If we, if I asked you, if there's one word that sums you up, mm. your innermost part, what would it be? Oh, that's a really good question. If I had to come up with one word that really encapsulates you, mm. okay. I think the word that I that that, and it's going to sound weird, but I mean it in the nicest possible way. I believe you. In the best possible sense. Okay. The best word that describes me is unstable. <laughs> in that really kind of creative, very intellectual and fun way. Right? Yeah. I mean <laughs> because I think the reason the reason that that word is 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 apropos for me is because I never let the best way to do something get in the way of doing something that's wonderful you know I like that I, I suspect that when you tell young singers sing every performance like you're going to retire yeah. all their singing teachers have a very sharp intake of breath and uh-huh. curse me uh-huh. and think never ever pay attention to anything that man ever says ever again mm-hmm. but that's the instability and I think instability makes you anti-fragile oh, okay. I mean there's, there's, there's fragile and there's robust but what's more than robust something that actually thrives rather than just withstands something that thrives when it's under pressure there you are I like that and I think if you're unstable if you, if you invest in a little bit of instability in mm-hmm. stuff particularly in performing if you can be if you go into a rehearsal process and have everyone guessing what you might do mm-hmm then it brings everybody into the, into focus into the room a little bit. Yeah. And also, you can see the technical guys going, oh, we're going to have to build a wall every time he runs into the wall, aren't we? Because he's going to break something. <laughs> I haven't, really haven't really done a performance unless I break something, usually a piece of the furniture. Well, Ben Hepner's done a few of those too, so it's exactly. fair enough, fair you know, enough. And I, I think a little bit of not unpredictability, because you, people want to know what you're capable of, but I think a little bit of instability in the process. So when you get to the performances, that instability is something that people can reckon with and you never quite know what direction it's going to go. And I think right. that's exciting for you as a performer, exciting for your colleagues. Um, and I and think it, it, make, it, makes it raises com- the bar. makes compelling theatre. I'm stable. I'm going to go with that, I think. I love that. I love that. I'll, That's the most I'll, imaginative word and well thought I'll out. Take, I'll take I'm, I'm going to add one more thing. I think you're a natural born searcher, and I think you're a naturally born philosopher. Yeah, maybe I am. I don't know. I do. I have been, accu- I have been accused of overthinking things before, so it's entirely possible. Hey, but then you make a cocktail and everything is just right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, for the third one, I don't think anything, anyhow. <laughs> Stuart Skelton, I have to thank you so much for your generosity and time. Don't, and oh, it's my pleasure. Thank and you it's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much, so much, and good luck in this illustrious career thank of you yours. Very much.
Appreciate and, it. And the curtain is now down on center stage. Oh!